to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I, I scared myself. I caught myself off guard right there. Uh, welcome to episode 175 of Crossover Commerce, a spooky episode leading into what we like to call here in the United States Halloween. If you're in different parts of the world, we might call it something different. But hey, uh, it's Friday. We're going to have a lot of fun on today's live podcast, uh, wherever you might be listening from, uh, whether it be on LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Again, 175 feels just a nice round number. Uh, every 25 or 10 or uh, every 5, whatever that looks like, it just feels nice. Not uh, If you're like me, have those different milestones in your mind of how much content we've been putting out. So that being said, if this is your first time joining Crossover Commerce, welcome. Welcome to my corner of the internet, like the introduction said, where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. It's kind of my own little... Uh, think tank, if you will, of people who are experiencing great and extraordinary things in the Amazon e-commerce space. And this podcast is actually presented by Ping Pong Payments. If you haven't heard of Ping Pong Payments, you can actually sign up for a free account with the link below. Uh, but before we kind of dive into all of that, Ping Pong Payments is helping millions of customers now worldwide save more when they're sending money. That being said, you can send to manufacturers, distributors, VAs, employees, wherever you might be do, doing business internationally or sending money, you can actually save on uh, fees and cross-border payments and receiving funds and put that to your bottom line to get other things like either pay your business employees, your uh, grow your business with your uh, inventory or just invest into new technologies. That is amazing what you can do with ping pong payments. It's free to sign up. And with five clicks, you get $500 in your account when you get approved. So sign up today and let them know that Crossover Commerce sent you. That being said, again, everyone, this is one episode, episode 175 on a Friday, right before Halloween. It's uh, it's It's been interesting uh, and scary. Just kind of a couple things to note right before we get kicked off today. Uh, Amazon's Q3 reports actually came out last night and it was it was a mixed bag if you will of lots of people when they look through the earnings reports a little bit down across the across the board in general there were some spending issues there was a lot of shortages logistics chains everything that we always talked about on this podcast that is coming to light in their earnings reports and a lot of people uh, are looking at different bright spots obviously international growth and expansion um, lots of different supply uh, I, I want to say it's a hundred different fulfillment centers actually opened up something like that around a hundred, I think in Q3, which is quite phenomenal um, in terms of logistics and distribution centers. And then also um, AWS, again, another bright spot into their ecosystem. But that being said, there's lots of fun, fantastic news in the e-commerce and digital worlds. I can no longer refer to Facebook. I apologize. I said, we're now going live on Facebook. We're going live on Meta. Again, I don't know how I'm going to get used to that, but uh, for now, it is now going to be known as Meta, Facebook changing its name to that of which it's going to be touching in multiple different things. But that's kind of things of note that's happened since we've gone live 20, less than 24 hours ago. So that being said, uh, today's episode is really cool. I, I'm really excited to hop into a program that I had talked about uh, actually prior to the show, uh, pre-show, uh, with one of the partners at Ping Pong Payments, actually, uh, Joe Lister. And his name is, uh, our guest today is actually Brian Kaler of Joe Lister. He is the product owner for the company. Uh, it's an e-commerce SaaS platform helping e-commerce sellers increase sales by streamlining multi-channel integrations. And the cool thing we're talking about today is going to be the new Amazon multi-channel fulfillment initiatives that Amazon itself is reaching out and starting to create. And companies like Joe Lister are helping sellers 
optimize their businesses and get out there and help themselves uh, grow as brand, help businesses grow as brands. So with that being said, that's kind of our, my little tease into our guest today. So welcome to Crossover Commerce. Uh, it's the Brian and Brian show. Uh, Brian Kaler of uh, Joe Lister. Brian, thanks for joining us early where you are and hopping on Crossover Commerce. Yeah, thank you very much. Looking forward to this. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're located in Boise, uh, Boise, Idaho. We we talked about that too. Um, yep. But your your background is super fascinating in terms of all the different iterations that you've gotten to, Joe Lister. Um, but to kind of like give yourself like your background, your your thirty second, you know, a rap sheet, if you will, your background, sure your resume, whatever you want to call it. What would that be uh, for everyone who may not be familiar with you? So um, started my career in Seattle, Washington. Um, spent about sixteen years there working mostly in the sort of real estate and real estate technology space. Um, worked for the family that actually owns Windermere um, for most of that time. Um, went to work for DocuSign and loved DocuSign. Um, and then my wife and I moved to Boise, Idaho. I worked for a very small startup in the sort of real estate transaction management tech space for a while. Um, did some project management for a recruiting app and then joined uh, the Joe Lister team in, what was that, March of this year and have really enjoyed getting my feet wet in uh, the e-commerce space and sort of digging into things that I'd already done, but in sort of a different vein of, of an industry that I hadn't had a ton of exposure to. Amazing. So um, with that being said, so Joe Lister and what they do, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, multi the new initiatives that Amazon's bringing up, right? The new programs, we, we titled this episode, the new Amazon multi-channel fulfillment initiatives, but you guys touch on a lot more than just on Amazon to kind of set the table, right? This is multi-channel, multi-marketplace operations that you guys are trying to trying to offer yeah. together, correct? So generally speaking, our, our program helps streamline the uh, listing creation and order flow for sellers who are using either eBay or Shopify. Uh, and what it does is it allows a seller to take their FBA and or FBM inventory, pull it into our system, and then we allow them to list those listings using our software or we can connect listings if they already have them. Um, and then it creates sort of automation for uh, inventory management and then order flow. So when an order happens, we pull the order information in. If it's a fulfilled by Amazon order, that order goes directly to Amazon. Amazon fulfills it and then we send shipping details back to uh, the resulting platform. So either eBay or Shopify. So it really takes no effort from the seller's perspective to fulfill an order that's placed through Joe Lister. So why, why is that something that people would go to you for? Is that something that just doesn't exist in the marketplace right now, or is just the efficiencies are not there before you guys came along? Like what, what was the so, genesis of? We've been around since 2015 um, and have been obviously adding features and, and, and things since then. But um, there's not a ton of competitors in the marketplace for this specific product. Um, and one of our benefits that we sort of tout is that our ability to create listings on eBay is typically better than a lot of our competitors. Um, eBay is notoriously difficult to create listings on from an API perspective because it requires so many weird things when you create a listing that uh, there's a lot of failure in, in, in posting listings and there's a lot of errors that come through. Um, we've spent a lot of time helping developing a system that 
helps get around those errors so that the user doesn't see them. Um, we do a lot of automation on the back end when you post a listing that fixes things as it comes through. Um, so that's sort of where we fit in the marketplace that I think we're, we do a better job at. Um, and then the order fulfillment is obviously a, a giant piece for sellers because they don't have to do anything. Once an order comes in on eBay, it's just automatically fulfilled. They don't touch anything. And <clears throat> it, it really reduces the amount of work that they have to do when an order comes in. Absolutely. And, and we've talked about on this show too before um, from everyone, if you're a listener and, and listening to this, Amazon is notoriously in, in, in the news this week. It actually it came out that Amazon as a fulfillment center and a shipping logistics company has now surpassed, uh, what would say FedEx, that in terms of the amount and volume of product that they're sending or receiving, not just on Amazon, but again, across multiple marketplaces. And also there, you know, there, there's so many different iterations that they're able to do and get product to people. It's something that other people in terms of brains, when we're talking about this specifically, how to tap into that huge network of getting product to people quickly and effectively in terms of a consumer, but then also that opportunity for you to use Amazon as a, as a warehouse. So it's, it's kind of confusing as a brand owner in 2021, Brian, that you might've been aware of is that inventory limits have substantially been decreased. Amazon kind of put a kibosh at the beginning of the year and said, Hey, we're not a long-term storage facility. We need, uh, based upon who you are as a seller, you're going to only have so much limited inventory and you're going to be affected by how often you sell through that inventory. So kind of walk me through why in today's ecosystem, why is it important to still work with Amazon as a distribution center while in conjunction working with their, the negatives or the cons of trying to figure out how much inventory I can possibly put in there at one given time. Right? Sure thing. So, um, I would say the positive of Amazon, as in, as a as a warehousing platform, is that they have so many warehouses that your reach um, is just so much better, and their ability to negotiate shipping rates is different than every other warehouse three PL vendor around. They just the, their size, their scale, their ability to use their own logistical company prior to getting to last mile delivery is just, it, it's so much bigger than everybody else. Um, <clears throat> so you, you touched on inventory, which is an interesting, interesting topic, partly because Amazon announced in June of this year that they are now going to include uh, any sales that have the, that result on another platform that are fulfilled by Amazon as part of your inventory score. So they are now looking at, at sales, let's say you sell on eBay and Shopify. So if you have sales on Shopify, you have a product that sells really well and you have a brand and you're using Amazon as a fulfillment partner, then any of those sales that happen on, on, on Shopify are actually included in your inventory score, which in theory can increase your inventory as well. Uh, they're also really pressing the gas pedal on trying to help sellers onboard and be successful within their ecosystem. So they now have an MCF team that is just purely dedicated to multi-channel fulfillment. No longer do you have to worry about trying to futz with like the FBA team or whatever. They have a team that's just there for multi-channel fulfillment partners. And depending on where you bracket, they'll actually assign you an account manager if you're big enough. 
That's well. In that regards, it's it's quite amazing that it took this long for them to even see holistically the sales opportunity. Right? Of yes, they might be storing product at a given juncture, but because of their nature of their network, more and more people are trying to opt in and utilize and, and utilize that system that they've built out, which again was the leading way of why Amazon is Amazon. Right? At first, it was we're going to make the customer happy, and we built our logistics chain. Uh, to make sure that I can get to people in two day shipping or, you know, two hour shipping or one hour shipping. Now, again, they've built that, that network to be quick, effective and, and smart, but to even grow from that, that next step would obviously be working with solutions that don't have that ecosystem, right? And eBay doesn't mm-hmm. have warehousing or they extend eBay. Uh, if you're a brand owner, I may not be at the size of which. I can have my own warehouse. Therefore, I'm going to utilize the tools at play. If I'm selling on Amazon, that's going to be Amazon, right? So it, it seemed it seemed confusing as Amazon was limiting exposure or limiting opportunity for inventory limits. But then obviously having this, this team come in play, was that just because of, in your mind, smart inventory management that people need to get a little bit better of instead of throw a product that's maybe going to sell, maybe not? Or what is it just to get smarter in terms of inventory management or are there, are there other things we're not seeing? I think more than anything, it's that they really want to increase their ability to be a true logistics partner and not just be an Amazon sale warehouse. And I think by limiting, limiting inventory, they were able to kind of get a handle on how much inventory makes sense for a lot of sellers. Um, and then logistics wise, things have changed a lot since they reduced their inventory capacity. Um, currently we are in a supply chain crunch that is a very, very in-depth topic. <laughs> it would probably be its own podcast if you want to go down that rabbit We've hole. We've done it. We've had so many different ones already, <laughs> oh, so we can avoid that it's, one. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they're really trying to make sure that logistically they can actually sustain themselves as well. Um, I think they saw this coming along long before most of the most sellers and most consumers realized that we had a very significant supply chain issue. Um, so by limiting, limiting inventory, they could sort of start the process of making sure that they were capable of, of handling volumes that they needed to. Um, and I also think it's slightly just reactionary. They, a lot of sellers were having, were just using Amazon as purely a warehouse. And I think the idea was kind of force those sellers to either get rid of their inventory or take it back so that they can sort of start, start fresh and new. And they're obviously building out new warehouses. Would you say there were 13 that were created that were built? Uh, it said, I want to say a hundred and I'm going to pull it up oh, here wow. because I seemed like that was a lie. Um, but that I, seems I, like I, a lot. I was, it seems like a lot, but I will say maybe it was a hundred to date now that they have operational to in the either United States or worldwide. I want to, I'm going to look it up for you, but in the interim, yeah. So yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, I, I really think that more than anything they're they were trying to kind of make sure that their, their operations were running as smoothly as they can. And, and Amazon's the, the amount of inventory that they store, I mean, when you look at the size of the warehouses, it's just phenomenal. Like a, a brand new warehouse just opened in Nampa, Idaho, which is about 10 miles from where I'm sitting. Um, and I mean, it's, 
it's the size, it's probably two city blocks big and three stories high. It's just, just huge. And it's one of the new auto, new fulfillment centers, so there's a lot of automation built into it, which is how they can sort of start off, why they've started offering extra services like avoiding Amazon Logistics as a shipping partner or blank box delivery, which is a big initiative for them as well. So I think part of the reason that they reduced inventory is so that they could build some of these initiatives and then they're going to sort of expand on that now. Well, and you brought up a good point that we talked about. This is something I personally was not aware. And I know that that was a big issue for lots of different brand owners as, as economies of branding, growing your brand on Amazon, which a lot of different businesses are trying to do at the economy of scale, Amazon as a fulfillment center is amazing. But when you tap into the network of being able to, um, utilize them at for fulfillment, you have the ability to, uh, there, there is a point of which that when you're, for example, tie your Shopify store to your brand or to your, um, to your store, for example, and you want to fulfill from Amazon. Amazon traditionally has always been able to. Um, go ahead. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Brian, and I'll, I'll continue to talk. Amazon has always um, traditionally been one of those companies that. When, when they're fulfilling, it's still going to come in Amazon packaging, right? Uh, when when they're fulfilling from, if it's an order from Shopify or from eBay, if you're do, still doing that fulfillment through Amazon, you're still going to get it arrived in an Amazon box. To consumer or to seller, they may not make that big of a difference. But to consumer, that might actually be confusing. It might affect the branding, or it may not even allow you to fulfill from Amazon because of those branding restrictions and regulations, right? So you mentioned their new initiative to have blank box delivery option that I never knew about. What, what, what can we learn about this new initiative? And as it starts to roll out, how do we get excited as brand sellers and brand owners? I got you. Oh, oh there, you go. there we go. All right. So, um, the initiative from Amazon is to allow sellers to use Amazon Logistics, not well, Amazon Logistics as a shipping partner, so the FBA process, to sell on channels that traditionally have not been something that they could fulfill on. Walmart is a perfect example. So Walmart doesn't want items coming in a smile box. They have their own warehousing, they have their own kind of fulfillment centers. And if you buy something on Walmart, it either needs to come in a non-branded box or a Walmart branded box. So by allowing Amazon sellers to send in essentially what's called blank box fulfillment, they now can tap into a market that they current, that they previously weren't able to. Uh, I've done some tests with our system and when you make an order, it just, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a, brown box with some green label with a green barcode on it. Um, the tape is just brown tape. So it is purely unbranded. <clears throat> so it really allows a seller who wants to sell on other platforms that potentially would, wouldn't have been able to previously fulfill with Amazon. Um, the other function that they're allowing is, is for you to block Amazon logistics. So again, Walmart is a good example. You order something on Walmart, Walmart doesn't want an Amazon truck walking, pulling up to your house and walking a package to your front door. Um, that's a great way to get your store shut down in Walmart. 
where blocking Amazon logistics forces the forces those items that you want to sell to be sent through either UPS or USPS. Um, that doesn't mean they're not being sent via Amazon to where it's going. It means that the last mile delivery is going to be done by someone other than an Amazon truck. Um, but the blank box thing is is very, very big because a lot of people don't want Amazon to be branded on any of their sales. So if they buy something from Amazon, obviously it's going to come in an Amazon box. But that's expected based on the fact that you bought it on Amazon. You expect it to come in a smile box. Um, you buy something on eBay, Shopify, Target, Best Buy. Uh, I mean, everybody now has their own marketplace sellers versus selling on their own. Um, they want it to either come in their brand or a non-branded box. So being able to fulfill with non-branded boxes is huge for a sellers because now they can expand their reach and the marketplaces that they operate in, but also it's huge for Amazon as well. They are a legit that, I was going to say, this is a huge, huge deal for brand owners. And again, if you haven't heard about this, this is a huge initiative that I think, again, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, in beta phase right now, or is it available for every seller to take part in? So yeah, it is currently in beta. You have to sign up for it. Um, there are ways to kind of jump the line if you want. Um, but that's more on the API connection side than it is on the Amazon side. So if you're an Amazon seller and you manage your own inventory and you're looking to use blank box on say eBay sales, you would need to sign up for their beta and then wait for acceptance. And then once you get accepted into the program, they start allotting inventory based on sales volume of multi-channel fulfillment versus Amazon sales into how much of your inventory can be sent in a blank box. And then as that, as they do more data, as, as you give them more data, they'll increase your levels or change how it all functions. But yeah, currently it's in beta. Okay, so a uh, person that, is there a general rule that someone might be more likely to be accepted, whether it be a larger seller or is there a minimum quantity threshold that you believe that, you know, it's hit, it, getting accepted versus not getting accepted? Has that been shared with you guys? It has not. So I don't okay. know what their criteria for other than where you are in the queue for being allowed to sell in blank boxes is. Okay. Um, there are, like I said, there, there are a couple ways to jump the line, um, but <clears throat> that's more specific to partners that they have partnered with versus being able to call someone and say, hey, I want blank box delivery and they'll just give it to you. Right. And, and that makes sense too, right? Because if it's not available and they want to make sure that it's going to be an economy of scale when it's testing mm -hmm. out, make sure no bugs are in the system. That that makes complete sense to me. Very fascinating. And again, I take I want everyone who's listening and all uh, brand owners, uh, growth partners, anything like that to note that it's going to be super important. This is where I see the beginning, Brian. And when I when we talked about this uh, earlier this week in our initial talk, I was super fascinated by this, and I started thinking through what could Amazon do in that capacity to even iterate it further. And I said blank box. Well, that's essentially a blank canvas, right? Like you can essentially put any sort of, it can be nothing or actually in theoretic through Redix again. Maybe this is me jumping ahead of uh, the Amazon, uh, you know, ball that's continuously growing. Is is this, is this open up the room for customization in terms of box that could be brand 
focused, whether it be I want this to be on my brand or you've received a good uh, your package from Ryan's, you know, razors or any something like that, where it's, mm-hmm. you know, branded for my storefront on Amazon or if I'm tapping into a Walmart or if I'm tapping into a, a Shopify, that could be something where it's customizable to the nature of what you're selling on those channels. Does that, does that sound like that might be down the road or is that too far to tell? I think that's too far to tell. Um, the moving parts on having cardboard stock that is that differentiated would be a challenge. Blank box is pretty easy because you got two sets of cardboard stock. You've got sure. ones with Amazon smiles and ones without. Um, I think as, as printing technology gets better, that's definitely a possibility because as it's running through and getting its its label, it could also run through and get a get something printed on the side of it. Um, yeah. I'm not sure where we are in the process of that, but that would be that would that would probably be what would have to happen for Amazon to be able to do that. Um, right. That's not to say that you couldn't have all of like at some point Amazon may go to the point where they have inventory that is branded to you in their warehouse. And as long as someone bought the units that you currently have prepackaged and ready to go, it could have a branded box on it. Um, I think that 100% is probably coming down the pipe at some point. Um, or again, I, I, I wouldn't put a time frame on that, but that would make sense because I know all Amazon has to do is pick the box, label it and send it. Um, sure because it's already done. Um, now, if they are ordering multiple things or it's an order with lots of stuff in it, then it would obviously go into another box, but then the box inside would be branded. Sort of like you can do now to a certain extent, but currently anything that comes, any order from Amazon gets reboxed no matter what. Sure. And the reason I bring that up, again, there's, there's an opportunity for anything and everything that Amazon does, right? You can take iterations and really grow from there as technology grows. The reason I say that I've been, I've been, I, I love social listening, watching and scaling the, the space in general. And the thing I've noticed is when Amazon brands their boxes in the field that you get for certain things, for example, or just packaging, packaging can be an enhancement to the brand experience, the, un, the unboxing uh, feel. And I know at scale that can be difficult, but say, for example, I am a, a big time seller or one piece seller or someone who has a lot of uh, bank and uh, a lot of money in my pocket. And I want to have a series of runs of customized uh, shipping from Amazon's warehouses. For example, like on Prime Day, you see Prime Day boxes, tape, such and mm-hmm. so forth. I even talk about like um, even as simple as like Starbucks cups, like when holiday time comes around, you used to see the red cups or you might still they still potentially do that so on and so forth. It creates that different feel, that psychology of, oh, this is different than every other time I've shopped here. The reason I say that is just with the runs on certain uh, brands, whether it be talking with Disney or talking with like actually bigger brands, the ability to customize that experience to those clients, if you will, could potentially be something huge in terms of a pocketbook or um, revenue in terms of the resource. So um, but blank is obviously good. I always think, what can you put on a canvas and how do you get creative with it? Which I think is really a cool opportunity in the future, but still 
um, that opportunity in itself, super important for people who want to sell multiple different channels. Do you think, do you actually think that this is going to provide a, a significant lift to, um, revenue streams, um, going through these kinds of operations, like using Amazon to fulfill different centers? I think it, I think it provides revenue streams for, for a number of people involved. Um, Amazon for sure. They now can start fulfilling orders that they previously wouldn't have, or a seller would have avoided. Um, so now a seller can can use Amazon as their repository for inventory across all of their SKUs. Um, secondarily, sellers now can use Amazon and their scale and their ability to competitively ship uh, to sell anything anywhere. They don't. No longer are they bound by a box that probably they don't want to have delivered to their front door. They can make sure that they're in compliance with the rules in terms of service of really any shipping or any third, any other uh, channel partner and continue to fulfill with Amazon that has the ability to get there in two days. Or in, in the case with, if you're in the same place as one of the Amazon fulfillment centers, there are times where I'll make an order and I'll get it the next morning because it's coming right. from 10 miles away. Well, Even if it's coming it, from USPS. Exactly. And, and the reason why that is, is obviously I'm going back to what we alluded to earlier. I, I felt like really foolish saying 100 uh, fulfillment centers. And I, and I, this was information that I've read and, and verified now, like as we're talking as of, and again, as of this information and releasing verified by Amazon as of on their website, April mm -hmm. of April of 2021. So earlier this year, with over a hundred fulfillment centers in the United States alone and over 185 centers around the world. So answer our question, hundred fulfillment centers plus are now available in the United States alone. So in theory, you do the math, of math at scale in theory, two per, you know, state not needed mm -hmm. clearly before population wise. That's a lot that that's, that's a fulfillment center in, in theory within a day's worth drive easily for lots of these different businesses and fulfillment centers. So my question to you, and I, I know the answer, but a lot of people are going to say with a hundred different fulfillment centers, does this capability for like blank box or the ability to ship from my product from one warehouse to anywhere in the United States, is that going to be true for every single warehouse or is it going to take time for this to kind of develop and, and grow and be adopted across all those different uh, distribution centers? So, Currently, blank box is not available in all of their distribution centers in the United States, and they're in the process of rolling it out in the UK, and I believe Canada's next. Um, most of the newer fulfillment centers and the modern fulfillment centers that have a lot of the automation and robotics in them uh, do have blank box. That's part of the reason why they use the beta system is because they really wanted to make sure that they could do this at scale. Uh, older fulfillment centers that are more manual are going to probably not have blank box, at least for a time period. But at some point, all fulfillment centers probably worldwide will be Amazon and blank box fulfillment centers. And then at that point, then you get into the that next level of, is it possible to brand a box? Is it possible to do more things with it? Um, and with that comes more automation. Uh, so the more modern facilities probably would be able to to implement that substantially faster than some of the more legacy ones. Um, but I was gonna also dovetail on 
you mentioned the fulfillment centers in the United States. If you go to a market like Seattle, Amazon has its own little small warehouses for all of the like on-demand delivery stuff. So there are warehouses all around Seattle in weird spots. And I know that there, there was talk about them doing this, a similar thing in Boise. Um, we had a local chain store that closed, so all of their locations stopped. And so you have a bunch of essentially like small warehousey type stores that are empty. And uh, rumor has it that Amazon is taking over those so that they can provide the uh, on-demand delivery, so the one-hour, three-hour, five-hour delivery stuff, and Amazon Fresh. That makes sense. Do you, and this is something with the with the curbside that they announced, or the um, the the fulfillment that they just announced. I want to say it's uh, man. I just talked about this on our Ecom 360 series that we just launched. Uh, believe it or not, um, they're now doing curbside fulfillment in terms of popular retail stores that you buy on Amazon. You can actually pick it up from a retail store. They'll hold it for five days and whatnot. So mm-hmm. utilizing actual retail stores, like you mentioned. Um, which it's been touted across the board for, especially for Q4 last year, it was a majority of where commerce was happening was curbside um, and just utilizing those kinds of networks itself. This year also expected to be a major component leading up to um, Christmas and up to the last minute, of course, uh, for all the holiday shoppers. Uh, what's been the most surprising thing in this in this ecosystem as you become aware, you're kind of getting into the weeds of the fulfillment process of with Amazon, is there has there been either a big positive or a big negative or glaring like issue that you've kind of seen, Brian, in terms of this capacity? What are the things that you've personally noticed in the space? So one of the things that I, I have noticed, and you brought it up earlier, is the is the limits on inventory. I think that's probably the biggest bottleneck for a lot of sellers out there, is that their ability to send things to Amazon and make sure that their inventory levels are proper for when they do have runs on sales um, is somewhat limited. I know that they're working on that. That's part of the reason why they put together the Amazon MCF team specifically is so that they can try to figure out how to optimize inventory levels so that sellers essentially have capacity um, and then can turn around and cross sell and increase that capacity. Uh, but I think the, the biggest bottleneck for sellers right now is inventory just across the board. You've got supply chain issues that, you know, you, you may have a container sitting in the, off the port of LA and you're just waiting for that inventory. So even if you had capacity in, in Amazon, you may not even have the goods to send them. Um, but then secondarily, once you get that container ship, you want all those goods to go to Amazon so you can sell it as fast as you can. And that may or may not be the, be a realistic case for you as an individual seller. So being able to have resources to help increase that capacity um, is also something that Amazon is working on, which I think is a good thing. Um, They really want to be the end-all, be-all logistical partner for everybody. Um, It doesn't work for some sellers. Some sellers want to self-distribute. Some sellers want to use a different 3PL based on the fact that, you know, they're their limits or their capacity is greater using that. Um, we have a lot of customers that do a hybrid. So they've got some stuff in 3PL, they've got some stuff that they self-distribute, and then they have some stuff that is in FBA. Um, so it's really kind of a hybrid model for a lot of sellers. I think as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, that probably becomes more of 
more of an issue based on the fact that you just need more capacity than Amazon's willing to provide you. Um, mm -hmm. But like I said, they're now actually offering uh, specific uh, account managers for extraordinarily large sellers. I mean, but it's more enterprise level sellers than it is someone selling, you know, 20 SKUs of, of yoga goods. Exactly. Well, the, the other note I wanted to bring up too, and I thought it was fascinating as we kind of talked through this all again, and going back to the key three report that Amazon released late yesterday. And again, if you haven't thumbed through it, um, if you follow me, uh, I've re reposted some of the major takeaways, uh, from some of the people on the call that I respect in the industry. And there's a lot of cool things that came from it. Again, they, they say a lot of, uh, suppressing things again, lower profit margins because of lots of spending, but the major thing they said, um, specifically relating to this topic is that the Amazon is not capacity constrained by warehouses or trucking anymore, which is, was thought to be the biggest thing, why they were, you know, shuttering inventory limits and whatnot. It's actually now, um, because of all their new inventory, or uh, operation systems, they actually said that the biggest capacity constraint is now labor. So that is people working there, Amazon clearly needs a lot more people hands on deck and I've even touted last year was a hundred thousand new jobs. I think this year is 150,000 new jobs just for Q4, Q4 alone that they need hands on tech. Is it, is it more of a warehousing thing? That's going to be a warehousing issue that we're going to see is the bottleneck or is it truly actually going to be the labor force, whether it be human, uh, robotic, whatever that might be in the future, is that going to be the major thing that needs to catch up now, according to what you've heard? So <clears throat> product-wise, logistical bottlenecks still exist pretty substantially. Uh, if I've done a bunch of reading on sort of what's happening at the ports, and that truly is a specific bottleneck, but at some point that will work itself out. And once it kind of goes back to stasis, we won't have that bottleneck anymore. We'll have figured out how to make that work more functionally so that hopefully we don't have it again. Uh, so there is a very specific bottleneck, but that's not specific to Amazon and their logistics at all. Um, I mean, obviously they get some products, but they have the resources to get them no matter how they are looking at it. They can hire their own private boat to go to some random port and get trucks to take it off. I mean, they've got, <laughs> they have capacity and scale that most people just couldn't even fathom. But yes, from a warehousing to front door standpoint, labor is, I would say, by far the largest bottleneck for Amazon going forward. Because they have the distribution centers, they've got the size, they have enough space to do whatever they really they want. The hard part is getting the labor force to actually do that. I mean, when you think about Amazon's warehouse, how many people does it take just to run like the labeling part of the distribution. Okay, so now start expanding outside of that. And then you have all the people that are involved in the trucking side of it. So whether it's loading trucks that go to USPS or UPS or loading their own trucks, you have to have drivers for those. You have to have drivers for Amazon logistics to drop goods off at houses. I mean, you, you look at the, the sheer number of people it takes to operate a functioning one functioning warehouse and then multiply by a hundred. It's astounding. 
and they just continue to build. So you build more warehouses, you have to staff them. And you're looking at, you know, five to 10,000 jobs that have to be filled so that you can run a functional, fully functional warehouse. So I think labor is going to be the largest issue for most logistical partners outside of the fact that we have got supply chain issues that will eventually resolve themselves. I would agree with that. And I, I, I think you're right. It, I, and then we mentioned a hundred distribution centers at scale when you have 10 to 15,000 employees across each of those entities, that's a lot of workforce that you need to uh, be working for you consistently, quickly, as well as effectively. Um, and now as Amazon grows, that that number continues to go up. So it'd be cool to, and interesting to keep an eye on in terms of how they're going to continue to iterate, grow, whether it be, again, labor force or automated force, whatever that kind of looks like in the long term as well. Um, I had a couple other uh, questions that actually um, I, I started writing down as I was thinking through multi-channel fulfillment. Um, the North American Remote Fulfillment Program, I'm assuming you're aware of, is you can get distributed products if you're selling in Canada or Mexico from your FBA warehousing in the United States. Is that something that you or Joe Lister or anyone considers that to be a smart thing to do, or is there a lot of negative that can come from that and you would rather just have inventory in those warehouses and FBA warehouses in Canada or Mexico separately? Can you so, walk me through that? I think it probably depends on how you operate and what your sales volume is like. If you're selling a high volume in Canada or Mexico and in the United States, you probably want to separate that inventory so that you can manage it a little more effectively and get it to someone's doorstep faster. Mm -hmm. um, but if Canada or Mexico are very secondary in their uh, in your sales volume, then consolidating that does make more sense because then you're shipping to one location and then that gets distributed out through the Amazon channel where if you're selling in Canada, it would need to go to a Canadian FBA warehouse where you're selling in the United States, it has to go to a United States FBA warehouse. So I think more than anything in that perspective, it's all about scale. Like how big are you? What's your sale volume look like? If you're selling a ton in different, you know, in different parts of the world, you probably want to have inventory there. But if you can consolidate it because that sales volume is really low, then it probably makes sense to consolidate it because then it, you reduce your cost by not having to break apart your inventory and then ship it to different places. Gotcha. What about um, fulfillment here? As as different marketplaces continue to grow and develop over time, it what are the things that you're looking to see develop over the next one to two years in terms of this multi-channel fulfillment area? Has there been any note that this is our project we're going to focus on um, tying into more than just eBay. Again, we talked about Walmart a little bit yep. earlier, uh, Shopify, where's the next iteration of growth that happens, whether if it's you or if you're a brand donor, you can naturally help them get into that next need or why are you guys hearing that from consumers and saying, listen, I would love to fulfill from, I don't know if Etsy makes sense because of the personalization and the customization, or if there's other sorts of like marketplaces that you guys are looking at. So I would say from a marketplace standpoint, yes, we're, we're looking to expand um, our footprint. Currently, we only work on eBay and Shopify. 
the beauty of focusing on two is that you can do it really well. Um, the more and more you add on, the more complexity you have in your system. So um, when we put out a new product, we want to make sure that it actually works and works really well and that the fulfillment doesn't break down because that's the worst part for a seller is if you have fulfillment that breaks down on orders, it kills your business. Um, but yes, so we are looking to expand into, I think Walmart would probably be our next big push for a marketplace. Um, Target has a pretty robust marketplace system now, so does Best Buy. Um, Home Depot even has marketplace items. So some sometimes when you order things from Home Depot, you're actually getting something that was, you know, fulfilled by some random dude in you know the middle of, <laughs> in Indianapolis. Um, so you've got you know all those marketplaces are starting to grow and grow and grow. Um, Newegg is another one that a lot of people, uh, if you have technology products have bought probably on Newegg. Uh, Newegg's marketplace is huge as well. Um, and then you kind of span out into individual websites. So you've got WooCommerce, you've got BigCommerce, you've got a lot of other places where sellers are actively selling. Um, Etsy's, a, Etsy's one of the ones that comes up on a pretty regular basis with our sellers. Um, the hard part with Etsy is that, yeah, you, you've got a level of personalization that you don't typically see with other marketplaces. So if you're selling on Target, you don't care about personalizing anything. Mm -hmm. If you're selling on Etsy, you're probably personalizing it. So I think Etsy's, Etsy's a more complicated growth strategy, um, but if you're a seller who's fulfilling on your own and you're not actually using FBA, you're you know fulfilling from your garage, or then yourself, yeah. yeah. Um, you can still have that inventory based in, 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 in Amazon, so we can actually provide you sort of the automated flow but you would then need to send it on your own because you're probably going to add something specific to the purchaser that you wouldn't in an Amazon order. Um, yeah. Taking it a step further, kind of going back into more of the like fulfillment space. The, the next, the next step for a lot of sellers and a lot of like service providers like us is creating connections within more than just Amazon. So currently our system works really well with Amazon, but there are other uh, warehouse and 3PL or third-party logistic partners out there that are doing a really good job as well. And they've gotten to the point where they're matching Amazon for shipment prices and speed. Um, it takes a lot of resources to do that, obviously. But you look at a company like Deliver. Deliver now has warehouses all over the United States and for a lot of markets can provide two days just like Amazon does. Um, so, you know, potentially making integrations with other third-party logistics partners as well, since a seller may want or only has capacity to send X number to Amazon, if you can automate the fulfillment to their other partner, that's a huge thing for a seller. Absolutely. And then also to think at, again, b businesses and brands that are at scale, they have their own inventory warehousing distribution centers. How do they tap into those same ecosystems of it all talks together, like an ERP, for example, correct? Like mm -hmm. something that's pulling from all inventory across the board. So if I'm a purchasing and product planning individual, I can start to see holistically instead of going to just Amazon or to listers dashboard, whomever that is, then going to my best buy dashboard or Home Depot dashboard, you know what I mean? There's that dashboard mentality of how do I create this all in one compassing brand as you get to 
the higher echelon of brands like SMBs. Obviously, there's going to be so many places that they're going to be. Um, mm -hmm. They're not going to have huge multi-channel warehousing. If they are, they're probably in the top 100 of Amazon, clearly, and they have their own ecosystem. But as you're kind of touching on all these different like wholesale channels or distribution channels, and you're running an actual, like a huge operational program, having that all talk to each other, I know is a need for lots of people. And then forecasting, like when I was in, uh, worked for my company back in the DTC ages, forecasting was so difficult because of planning 12, 14 months out for that creation of product, what you're doing. And then, oh, seven months later, we actually way oversold what we needed. We need more. So really having that talk together because of my specific channel versus like Amazon versus all these other channels that we were selling through the cohesiveness has always been one that's kind of, you know, escaped people. And I know there's lots of great solutions, just having that one really good ERP built together so that you can see everything together. Uh, Brian, uh, I know in the final minutes that we have you, what's the most exciting thing about working with a company like Dolister on a day-to-day -day basis? Like, is it the problem solutions that you guys are creating for sellers or what's kind of that most exciting? And then on the flip side, what's, what's kind of the thing that keeps you up at night trying to figure out on a day-to-day -day basis? So most exciting thing is I, I love to work with people in general and our sellers are typically super excited about just selling in general. That's what they've made their life on. Um, so you have to have a lot of really interesting conversations, um, providing kind of handholding support more than anything, like having a phone conversation with someone and being able to actually provide them real value or leading them down the path of becoming more efficient is something I really enjoy. Um, I would say the hardest part about working with a SaaS product is when things don't go well. So you find a bug, you fix the bug, it causes another bug. So you're always sort of, you know, in, in the tech world, we, we refer to it as technical debt. Um, tech debt scares the heck out of me. Um, but in, the, in all reality, we don't have that much technical debt, but it's that always that fear of like, okay, if we implement this new thing, what are we going to break? And then how do we fix it when we, if, if it does break that? So I think what keeps me up the most at night is just the, the, the fear of, of touching something and then having something else fall apart. Um, luckily, my engineering team is great, and um, we do a good job of making sure that we test everything prior to actually releasing it. But you know, there's a lot that goes into even just adding a button in a website. It's not just adding a button. There's so much, so many things that that touches that <laughs> there's always that back end fear of like, let's make sure that this is working 100% before we put it, you know, <laughs> before we deploy it so that we don't break anything. Yeah, or, or hurt the partner that you are uh, tying and pulling that information from. I, I lived mm -hmm. in the SaaS world for a long time, uh, a lifetime ago, it feels like. And it, it was always scary to think that what you can do with that data, it's almost like with great power comes great responsibility. And that's what you have. And when you get access to that kind of information and data, not to, not not to piss off anyone that that uh, that's getting getting your access, the person with the uh -huh. keys, right? They don't want to yeah. lock you up. So that that's amazing. But uh, so wrapping up quickly, Brian, information based upon you, the company, and whatnot. How do we if they like what they hear? If this is the solution, hey, I actually 
I'm looking for an opportunity to um, kind of consolidate and almost make something a little a lot more easier and take time. I'll always love referring people to something that saves you time, money, or effort. This seems mm -hmm. to do literally all three of those. So if they want to touch base with you or Joe Lister, what's the best way to do that? So um, if you send an email to hello at joelister.com, um, that will come to essentially our support area where typically I'm touching it. Um, our engineers are touching it if, if, if need be. We have a couple of uh, support people that also would essentially review it. So um, hello at joelister.com. If you've got questions, happy to answer whatever you've got. Um, you can visit our website. It's just joelister.com. Um, has a bunch of information on there. Um, pricing as well, so you can go ahead and take a look at that. Um, and then, <clears throat> so those are the, probably the two easiest ways to reach out to us. Um, if you want to schedule like an actual like one-on-one -on -one with me, uh, just send a, a message to Hello Joe Lister, and then I will catch that, and then I will reach out directly. Um, we can schedule it via Calendly. It's pretty super simple. So easy enough works for me. Well, thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce Day. I know. There's a, there's a Friday to be had where we're at and you guys are being uh, super busy. We're excited. I know at Big Bonk to partner with you guys uh, and moving forward in, um, grow, as a growth partner. And I'm excited to hear more about the new marketplaces and you guys uh, watching it grow through the ecosystem you guys are building out too. So congrats on all the success and uh, we look forward to working with you individually. And thanks for coming on Crossover Commerce Now, friend of the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a pleasure being on here. and. Uh... Have a wonderful Friday. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. And again, everyone else who joined us live on Crossover Commerce, thank you for tuning in uh, for a little bit, or if you stay the whole time or listen to the whole time, we appreciate you tuning into every single episode. And this episode was another fantastic way to garner more information about just the importance of having a multi-channel fulfillment plan in place, working with companies like a Joe Lister to make sure that as you brand at scale and grow your business, you want to be able to have those businesses and solutions that are going to help you save time, money, and effort. And that's what we talked about today in the world of headaches that trying to fulfill and ebb and flow and work with just great technologies that Amazon's built out or other third party companies have built out. You want to make sure that you can use those to your benefit. So that's what we talked about today. Again, thank you so much, Brian. Uh, at Joe Lister and again the team over there uh, partnering with Ping Pong Payments moving forward. I'm Ryan Kramer. This has been one heck of a week at Crossover Commerce. Next week's kind of crazy. I know lots of people are traveling for uh, an Amazon Powell event held in Miami, Florida. We uh, at Ping Pong are sponsoring a couple of those events and we'll be seeing lots of sellers and service providers down there for that. So make sure you tune in and get your tickets if you haven't already and We'll see you guys down there. Otherwise, this has been Crossover Commerce episode 175, my corner of the internet, where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. I appreciate everyone for tuning in for every episode and listening and watching on your favorite platform again on any social media network, or if you're listening to us on the podcast, your favorite podcast station, or you can listen to all of our podcasts at usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast. Let me say it, I'm Ryan Kramer. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care.